0: Wednesday night, it's uh, February the 8th, and we will be in Deuteronomy chapter 9. That's what was actually uh, up for last week, but we ended up going over the previous Sunday's sermon again. We got into it a little bit deeper, went through it, and like I said last week, Wednesdays that's what Wednesdays was supposed to be for anyway I mean we were supposed to be able to use Wednesdays to get a little deeper into Sunday's message um, maybe have questions about it and be able to go over that and that's always available to you if you do have questions and anything that we go over on Sundays can be brought up because I want everybody to you know everybody to be clear on, you know, what's being taught and what the Bible says, or if you see something that I didn't see and you, th- you think it's interesting. It's, uh, so when did I say something about what you were talking about at the beginning, you know, when we were outside coming in about uh, the word rebuked? So that was this past Sunday's message. So she had a question about that. So it I, it was Jesus saying what did Jesus rebuke? And I, so I didn't make that very clear, right? I just said the word rebuke. Oh, okay. All right. So it's just, you know, something to you you say something like that. So Jesus didn't use the word rebuke for just anything. It's almost almost always was geared toward Satanic activity. So uh, I had kind of forgotten that I even said that. So she brought it up, and actually got it, it. It made it to where she wanted to get into looking up the word every time Jesus had used it to verify what I said. That's being a Berean, right? A Berean Christian. And I tell the guys at the jail, which I didn't, I didn't go last night. Because we had a council meeting uh but Cameron took took over and he had uh nine guys show up and had a great time and he just can't wait till next week I mean he's just so excited about doing jail ministry and being away from there for three years because of COVID really uh um made him sad for sure and you you, you've heard me talk about it know how I felt about it so uh, it's just great having somebody like him that could fill in, and I know they're taken care of. They're, they're getting the Word and everything. So I don't have any problems with, uh, with, with that. All right, so Deuteronomy 9, we're going to start reading. It set, starts with, Hear, with your ears, Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass out. Jordan this day. Now, they don't go over Jordan for over 40 days from, from this point right here. So, we have to be very careful about how we interpret Scripture. Because you can take something like this and say, that very day. He said this day. But what does this day mean to them? Just like the word week because when you when you go to daniel and you see 70 weeks we think of a week as seven days that's all we think about when we hear the word week w-e-e-k is seven days but to them in israel when when that was being talked about week meant seven so if you said, give me a week, you would say, a week of what? Like we say, give me a dozen. Well, was it last, last Wednesday? We're talking donuts. <laughs> Donut, give me a dozen. A dozen of what? Eggs? Donuts? There's different things that we could be talking about. We have to verify what we're actually talking about. And the same thing in the Bible. So when Daniel talks about 70 weeks, it's weeks of years. It's, and, and you see it through scripture where there's a block of seven years. Seven, 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 you get to 49, and then the year of Jubilee. So it's sevens uh, of years. There's sevens of all kinds of things in scripture. All right. So, this doesn't actually mean this very day. You could say the day of creation. It was six days. Six days of fixing everything and making everything to where we see it today. So, a peri- any, when you hear uh, a day in the, de- in the day that you heard it, it could be in that period of time. It's just a period of time that's being talked about. To go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven. All right, what does that mean? These, these city walls are, are so high, they go up to heaven. Well, which heaven? Or is that just, just a figure of speech? That just means they're really, really tall. But you also have three heavens. You have when most when you hear heaven you automatically want to think about where God is. Where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That heaven that we're going to go to one day. But the Bible talks about three heavens. You have the first heaven that the birds are flying through. Then you have the second heaven that the earth is in that galaxy, that universe. So you think of a universe And then the third heaven is where Paul went. Didn't know if it was in the body or out of the body. Wasn't sure, but he just knew he went there. He was there. And he's called it the third heaven. So this is just talking about how tall the walls are in these cities. A great, I mean, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest and of whom thou hast heard say, Who can stand before the children of Anak? So these were descendants of giants, very big people that would be fearsome in battle. Just looking at them, you would be scared and feel like you're overmatched and you would be disheartened to even go fight them. And they knew it. Those people knew that they were feared. Three. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire, he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord hath said unto thee. So they're not supposed to fear these people that they're going in because God has already told them that he has given them the land and the people that are there and that they're going to take over everything that's there. They're just going to go in and take over the vineyards. They're going to take over the uh, beautiful places to live. Everything that's there, they're just going to take. God has told them it's going to happen. If God has told you something in the Word of God, you need to be uh, not fearful of what you're, what you're doing in this life because you know that He's going to pull through. He, his promises are not going to be broken. So we need to be a people of faith. And if remember from this past uh, Sunday, if, you're a, if you are a person of faith, that means you're not a person of fear. Because as, as you have more and more faith come in, the fear has to leave. But if you start to lose your faith, something's going to fill that vacuum, and it is fear. That's what will happen. There was two great sins that the nation of Israel did. And it was melting down the gold and making a golden calf. When Moses was up on the mountain, he was gone for a really long time. And they, he's going to talk about it here in a, in a minute. But that was a, one of their great sins. And being scared when the spies went out a long time before, and only Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. We can go do this. But the other ten uh, said we can't, we're scared. Said so that was considered a great sin. So when I say Israel had those two, of, that was their greatest sins, there was two great sins, somebody might say, uh, well, all sins the same. But the Bible clearly says that that was two of their greatest sins. Sin is different. Sin is different. The littlest sin will send you to hell, and the really big sin will send you to hell. They're no different on that level. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. It doesn't matter if you're a rich sinner or a poor sinner. We went over that a couple Sundays ago. If you have the disease of sin, you're all on one level. But that's you personally with that person. We're all on one level, but that sin could be much greater than this sin and that person might go to prison for the rest of his life because of the sin he commits, this person might pay a little fine. So there's differences in it. The sin of fornication is talked about in the Bible as being different than any other sin because it's a sin against your own body. And your body's the temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. And for you to do any kind of fornication is, is uh, it's, it's, it's different than the other sins. Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, for he's telling them, don't do this. Don't say, for my righteousness, the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. So if, if somebody has been following the commandments pretty good and when they actually go into this land Moses is warning them don't you dare say that i deserve this because i've been good don't do that but for the wickedness of these nations the lord doeth drive them out from before thee those all those they, see they were pagan nations that they were going in to take over. So those, all those pagan nations had been sinning greatly, and it was, they, were, they were ripe for judgment. And God, it's time for him for, to, to go before the nation of Israel and to take care of it so when they came in there they have easy victory. God does that for you today. When you have a great uh, struggle in life, you have things that you need help with, God is telling you, I'm going in before and I'm taking care of it, now go. It's already taken care of, just do it. It, it, it almost reminds me of being a little kid and you think that there's uh, boogeymen in your bedroom at night and you're in the living room and you're safe there because your mom and dad are there and they're just fussing at you because it's nine o'clock and you gotta be in bed. It's a school night. But I wanna watch this next show that's coming. Yeah, go to bed now. But I was really, really I was scared of going into my dark bedroom. And I just remember getting to the point where I know there's nothing there. I just gotta be brave and just run in and if, they, if the boogeyman kills me, he kills me. And I overcome my fear by doing that. And I just would just take off running down the hallway and bust through my door. And here I am. And I felt a little braver the next night. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart doest thou go to, pos- to possess their land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doeth drive them out before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, those people are being judged, and you're taking their spot. Well, the same thing happens to Israel. Israel is being, as you go forward from here, and you go through Uh, the judges and those things. The different parts of the Bible, you're going to see it, where the nation of Israel, they're doing good, God's blessing them, and they just fall off and start doing bad things, and God uses an even more sinful nation to judge them. God will use whoever he wants to use to do what needs to be done. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land, to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Okay, so we, we need to talk about this, uh, thy righteousness. So let's, let's go to Titus. Go over to Titus. You know where that is? Right after First and 2 Timothy? Go down to chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I was talking to somebody earlier today about that. What, what, why doesn't it say here, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to a select few men? or just the elect, or the predetermined to be saved. It says that salvation hath appeared to all men. It's available to all men. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So, it's by the grace of God that we're saved, but when we're saved, we should be a different people because that doctrine of salvation teaches us that we're supposed to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope "...and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." We, we should be... You know what zealous means? You're excited and motivated to do good works and why now if you were a type of person that thinks you got to do some good works to prove that you're saved or to get salvation you wouldn't be zealous in doing it you would be doing it out of burden and necessity and trying to make yourself good enough to be saved right it wouldn't be something you would be all excited about doing you'd be doing it you, you would be doing it, it it's it's kind of like, uh, I read a story in Outdoor Life when I was a kid. It was called The Skunk Ladder. The Skunk Ladder. And it was, it was Ed McMahon or Matt Manus or something. He had this comedy, you know, this little writing at the very end of, I'm pretty sure it was Outdoor Life. And he was talking about, um, they, him and his buddy, they would get bored. They lived out in the, out in the boonies. They hunted and fished and all that. And... If their fathers tried to get them to dig a ditch, they hated it. But if they had an idea of making this animal trap, they're going to catch deer and bear and all kinds of cool stuff and sell them to the circus and make a lot of money. That was their plan as kids. And they would go up there, and they start digging a big hole. And it was a monstrous hole. But because it was their idea and it was their plan, it was so fun, and they dug all day long. But if they would have been doing it for their father for a good purpose, they would have been whining and complaining the whole time. So that's, that's the kind of uh, what, what I'm trying to get across to you here. So do you guess what they caught, the first animal they caught. It was titled the skunk ladder. Yeah, they caught, uh, <laughs> went up there to check their trap. They were all excited what they might have caught. And halfway up the hill, they're like, uh-oh. Very good. Look it up. I don't know if you can find it, but look that story, story up and, and uh, read it. It's very, very good. You will laugh reading it. So, we are, we are to be a people zealous of good works because we're saved. See, you're a new person. When, you, when, you, when you're truly born again, you're a new person, and you want to do good works for your Heavenly Father. You want to be a servant because He, he bought you with his blood, and you need to have a servant's heart and humble yourself and want to be a servant to him and do whatever he needs done. We should be that way, and we should be very happy about it. These, 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Put them in mind, this is uh, chapter 3, put them in mind to be subject... To principalities and powers, to obey magistrates. Magistrates to be ready to every good work. There it is again. Every good work. So what that's saying is, we're supposed to be willing to do good works within the church, but we're also supposed to do good works in the world we live in, so that we can be, uh, we can we can be an example and a witness with even the even evil magistrates. They're not godly, but yet you be, be subject unto the principalities and powers because God, see, it sounds like I'm reading out of Romans. That, that sounds really familiar out of Romans. You know, uh, be subject to the governed authorities. God put the governments in place, and you need to be subject to them in everything except when they go against God. Now, if you are whining and complaining and rebelling against things that are just neutral then no one's going to take you serious when you rebel against something that's against god's word so we need to be what this is saying doing good works in the society that we live in you drive the speed limit you don't drive on the sidewalks you know there's a lot of things you you should do because you're you're concerned about uh treating your neighbor as yourself, right? And you, do all, you try to follow all the laws because you're a godly person. You don't, you're not following the laws because you could get a speeding ticket or you could get locked up you know, for, for breaking the law. You're following the laws because you care about others. That's the difference with uh, being a saved person and, and a, an unsaved person. So in doing that, you are a good example to society, the people we're supposed to be witnessing to. Then, if you are just a squeaky clean record, and then you do something, you break a law, because the law, like uh, the law that Moses' parents were under, all the male babies have to be thrown into the river. Well, I'm not obeying that law. Arrest them. But, you know, they've been so good about everything else. So they'll take notice. wonder why he's so upset about this one. Well, there's a reason for it. You're breaking God's law. And when you go before the court, you say, what's your record? Perfect. Except for this one little thing you did right here. You did not throw your little baby boy in the river. And you stand up and say, the word of God forbids me for, for doing something like that. I cannot do it. I'll accept any punishment you want to give me, but I cannot go against the word of God. And they will listen to you. But if you were doing that with all the other things, they, what you say means nothing. <clears throat> uh, verse 2 To speak evil of no man. Now that's really hard to do, isn't it? Really hard. So I'm going to keep reading to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes, that means when we were unsaved, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts, or different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So, Don't be surprised when you see that going on in the world because you used to be that way too before you were saved. So now that you're saved, you you want to treat people differently. You want want to treat people the way that God would be pleased that you would treat them so that they will take notice of it. That's, That's one of the ways, when you think about, Being uh, an evangelist. And Betty has been doing a great job at that recently. I mean, she's just, she's been going out being an evangelist, right? That's what you've been doing. You got a heart for it. And she's got kind of a direct approach. She just, that person needs to know Jesus, and she goes up and tells him, Look, you need to know Jesus. It's real simple. And that's a direct approach. Now, there may be somebody that has, that doesn't respond that way. And maybe, uh, you know, Joseph wants to practice evangelism, and he sees that this lady, her yard's never mowed. She can't hardly keep up with the kids. And he goes over and says, look, I want to help you out just because. You, I just want to help you. And he cuts her grass, and he uh, cleans up the yard a little bit. And she's like, well, they're going, why would he do that? Why would he do that for me? makes no sense. Then he comes back later some other time, and uh, she's already rejected that direct approach. And then one day she just comes out and says, why are you being so nice to me? And he just starts saying, well, you know, um, God has changed my heart, and I just want to help others, and, and I'm just, I, used to all, I just did everything for myself. And now I just want to, I have this, my heart's changed and I just want to help other people that need help. You know, it's just God changed me. And they, they, she's way more willing to listen to that because of what he did. And that is a, more of an indirect approach. There's all kinds of different ways to approach someone about the gospel. There's, there's a lot of different ways, and all of us need to figure out the best way to approach people. And you, you, get, you learn that from just watching how they react to one way, praying that God would give you the right way to approach someone, and you could, you could walk up to somebody who maybe they know everything. You know, you, 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 you see them. Somewhere, and you hear them talking, and any subject that's brought up, they got, they, they're talking about it like they know everything about it. And that person, you need to walk up to and go, how is it that God could actually save a dirty, rotten sinner like me? How is that possible? And see how much of a know-it-all they are. And see if they'll explain it to you. And you might just shut them right up. And they may think, you know what? That's something I don't know anything about. They're all proud that they know all this other stuff, but give them something like that to think about. And if you stump them, have the answer ready for them and tell them. Just have your your testimony story ready to go. And and, and if you have have asked them a question, you, you realize how many times Jesus asked questions? When he was asked a question, his response was a question. He asked the woman at the well, will you? I need a favor. I'm thirsty and I need some water. Jesus asked the woman to do him a favor by getting water out, just waiting for the opportunity to talk about the living water that he could give her. That's clever. You can learn a lot of cool stuff by reading the Bible. (laughs) If you read this, if you read this Word of God, you will come up with some really clever ways to evangelize. If you see a chariot out in the middle of nowhere, (laughs) that's a sign, especially if your name's Philip. 4 of chapter 3 of Titus. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Did you see that? It's not by works of righteousness that earned your salvation. And, you, and it's saying, you did righteous stuff. You did a lot of stuff that you could be proud of, but that did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because people think, well, I've done so much good. I mean, I, I've kept a list of all these good things I've done, and I, I'm probably getting pretty close no. It don't matter how many good works you've done, it hasn't gotten you any closer to salvation than the person that's done nothing or one, one good thing. So you have done these good things. Again, that's one of the hardest people to minister to, the people who are really, really good. They think they're all right. Okay. Uh, middle of five. But according to His mercy... He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we have been adopted into the family, and we become joint heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ is getting in eternity, we get, because we are joint heirs with Him. We have been adopted into the family. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. So, you hear a lot of people say, if you add good works, you've added something to salvation. This is not what it's talking about. It's talking about salvation's done. You've been justified. You've been justified by His mercy, by His grace, all that's done. And the the proof is that you're different. You don't do the things you used to do you're not saying well look at me and all the good things I do now and that's keeping me saved or proving that I got saved but really it's something that's just going to happen you will be different and you're going to do good works Be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic, so somebody who is teaching false stuff, after the first and second admonition, reject them knowing that he that is such is subver- subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. All right, that's enough out of Titus. <clears throat> so there's a New Testament passage there that will go along with what we're reading in Deuteronomy 9, uh, verses 1 through 6. All right, now we're at 7, we're back in Deuteronomy. Chapter 9, verse 7. Now, at, at the beginning of doing Deuteronomy, I pointed out all the places throughout Deuteronomy that said, Remember. And I'd have to page back through my notes to find it, but I'm not going to do that. And then it says, Forget not. Or or, or the, the, the passages, the, the verses that said, Forget not. Remember, remember, do you remember? All these verses about remembering? Or have you forgot them? Don't forget. It says it right here, do not forget. Remember, And and this is the one that said, remember and forget not. Both of them were in the same one. How thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness from, from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until ye came unto this place, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb ye provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Now what was so bad about melting down a bunch of gold and making an image? They were... They, <sighs> They learned a lot of this stuff in Egypt. And anything that you remember, I, I mentioned this probably was this past Sunday. The pagan religions had. Notice how this started here, here, with your ears. Moses said, Hear, O Israel. That's not the first time he said that. And we're only in chapter nine. This might be the fifth time that he says it. And. So the pagans had, the pagan people had little g-gods and they would make an image and they would see the image. But the nation of Israel, if they tried to look at their god and see him, they'd die. But they heard from their god. But all these little images, you could see them, talk to me, they don't say anything, absolutely nothing. So we are to listen to the Lord. And they, Moses went up in the mountain, and all the people started to turn out of the way and go back to their old way of dealing with stuff. You see that a lot. You see people uh, get out of the bad things they used to do and they started doing it differently, and they're, they're being successful, and then something bad happens, and then they fall back into what they used to do, because that's just something they know. And that's what happened here. Now, if you go back and read this story, when it actually happened, because this is a history lesson here. Moses has given them a history lesson before they go into the Promised Land. And they all remember this, this is one of those greatest sins. And they took all the gold that they had brought out of Egypt and Aaron Aaron should have stood up against such a thing but he compromised they were getting rebellious they were they were getting to the point where they were fighting amongst themselves and he just wanted to compromise and try to get everybody you know on the same page and it ends up getting really bad, where they actually make this golden image of a calf. Did they form it into a calf? Did they do that? Or did it just do it all by itself? You remember the story? You read it, it sounds to me like they just melted it down and the image just formed into a golden calf. It's like they didn't do the work to make it that way, it just did it by itself. <clears throat> Why? Why would it be a calf? Why would it turn out to be a calf? You know, If you remember talking about the cherubim, cherubim is the four-faced creature. We talked about it in Sunday school, because we were going over the four Gospels, and I relate each face to one of the Gospels. Well, one of those faces on the cherubim is the face of an ox. Now, a cherub is a singular, cherubim is multiple. It looks like it's one thing, because they're all connected, but it's four different faces, so it's four, plural. Now, a cherub, you might hear cherub and think angel. No. A cherub is different than an angel. So if you go to Ezekiel, I'm pretty sure, and it might be in chapter 10, where it talks about, no, it's chapter 28, where it talks about Satan being the anointed cherub. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, it talks about those four faces. And I think it's in, in Ezekiel 10, where it's talking about the faces. And then it says, the face of a man, a face of an eagle, a face of a lion, and the face of a cherub. But what are the four faces? Lion, man, ox, eagle. But then over in 10, now, this was not planned at all for tonight. So this is all from memory. But I feel pretty confident that it's 28, because I know in Ezekiel 28, is when it's talking about the the prince. And, And it sounds like Ezekiel's talking to somebody on the earth but he's talking to the devil at the same time. You remember Jesus looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan? But he was looking at Peter. Well, in this situation, Ezekiel, Ezekiel was looking at this prince, and he's talking to him about things that he would do on this earth, but then he starts talking to him and things that there's no way this person did as a human. And it, he's talking about Satan, and he's, I think he's talking to Satan. And he talks about Satan, the anointed cherub. So in 10, that's where I'm saying, you, you go to 10 and, and search me out on that. 10, 14, you already found. She's already found it. Thank you so much. So in ten fourteen, it says, it goes through the faces of the cherubim again. But when you read the four, the four different faces, it's lion, it's man, it's eagle, and then the face of a cherub. Which one did it leave out from chapter 1? Ox. So a cherub has the face of an ox. If you, if, if you read those three places in Ezekiel, you can come up with that conclusion. So, if Satan was the anointed cherub that covereth, in 28, if he was referred to as a cherub, And then you take the faces of the cherubim, and then that one face, instead of saying ox like it did in chapter one, it says face of a cherub. The only one that's missing is the ox. So does that mean that the face of a cherub is an ox face? And if so, did Satan look like a creature that had the face of a cow? Why is it that when little kids dress up like the devil for Halloween, they have a red costume like a red heifer and have little horns like this and a big ol' ring in their nose like a cow would have. Satan wants his image to be out there. He remembers what he used to look like. So, people say that, uh, you know, where you come up with this uh, image of of, uh, Satan being this bull, that looking thing, you know, horns on its head and a pointy tail and all that. Where did you get that from? Oh, is that in the Bible? Actually, I think it might be, and I just told you where it's at. So why would that golden, melted molten gold form itself into a calf so the nation of Israel can worship it? Satan wanted to be worshiped. He even asked Jesus when he was tempting him, just fall down and bow to me, worship me for just a second, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. The molten image. So we're going to, I think it's a good place to stop. What do you think? That's a lot of stuff to think about, and our time is about up anyway. And remember that we're at 13 in chapter 9. I thought we would go right on through 9, be done with 9, and be into 10 by now. And y'all are like, yeah, right. Okay, let's pray. Now, uh, if, you, if you listen to this on the podcast, if you listen to Sunday services on the podcast, you miss, on the podcast, you miss on Sundays, you miss the church service, so you don't hear the beginning prayer. And the, you've noticed last week I started and then I prayed. Today I forgot. All right, so shame on me. But I don't always, especially on Sundays, you know, because y'all are here, you see it. So I pray here at the altar, I pray before we get into things. But if you listen to the podcast, you never hear that. You only hear the Bible teaching and then you hear the prayer at the very end. So we're going to pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, for your word And Father, we know that Your Word, by hearing it, Father, we we need to be a people of faith, not a people of fear, but a people of faith. And how do we get faith? By hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Father, Your Word is so precious to us. And Father, we, we want to read it. We want to listen to it. And Father, we know that the more we know Your Word, the more faith we will have, the more enlightened our souls will be. And Father, we don't know the workings of the Holy Spirit, but we know that it, the Holy Spirit is in us when we believe. It's working. It's going before us when we go out to evangelize. And Father, help us to remember to pray before we do those things, before we read the Word, before we go out and to uh, approach someone about the Gospel, that we would remember to pray. And Father, that the the wonderful Holy Spirit, He will be out before us, convicting souls. And Father, that we would have the Word to speak, that will enlighten, the conviction will be happening, and Father, we will be able to ask the person, will you come? Will you go to Jesus? Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen.